How are you guys doing? Good. Good to see you all. Uh, my name is Marshall. I'm one of the leaders here at the church, and if you're new, uh, we're really glad that you're joining us today. Cheesesteaks or burn ends? Yeah, burn ends. That's the right answer. Burn ends, okay? So uh, that's a Super Bowl reference for today. That's, that's honestly as close as I'm getting to uh, any kind of steaks in this Super Bowl today. Uh, burn ends. They're better. Anyway, uh, let's... How do you, what do you guys think? Like maybe we should just talk about the Bible or something today. Sound like a good plan? All right, let's do it. Um, when I was in my uh, when I was in my early twenties, I, I went through something of kind of like a, a really powerful spiritual awakening. Like I had always been a Christian when I was younger, but something happened. God did something in my life through a series of um, events where it just there was just sort of like one event after another where I would find myself in a place, sometimes it was a churchy place, sometimes it was kind of out in regular life or it was just a, among friends. And, and there were just these moments where like somebody would, would share something that they felt like the Lord said to them for me. And my life was like beginning to just feel this like buzz of electricity. I don't know how else to describe it. Everywhere that I went, there felt like this sort of opportunity or, or um, par, uh, possibility, maybe is a better word, a possibility, like anything could happen, like God could do something, and people would, we would pray for people, and stuff would happen, people would get healed. It was just this really incredible time, and through a series of these prophetic events, uh, I had this sense that God was uh, inviting me to sort of a new adventure. I was invited by uh, a leader in a, in a church to come and, and serve with him in New Zealand, at a, at a church in New Zealand. And uh, I didn't know anything about New Zealand except for uh, the Lord of the Rings. And so I was like, all right, let's go to the Shire. Um, it sounds like a good place to, to, to lead a church. And um, I packed everything up, got a, a plane ticket, flew to the other side of the world all on my own, only to discover when I landed that what I had actually signed up for was sitting in a prayer room for 30 hours a week. That was not what I was expecting to do in this beautiful land of New Zealand. But I'm eager. I'm hungry. I want to see God do stuff in my life. So I start showing up. Uh, and on day one, I show up to this prayer room. I knew that I had to be there for, uh, for six hours. And um, I open my Bible. I read a psalm. And then I start to pray for everybody that I could think of. Every single person I knew I prayed for. Every person I didn't know and heard of, I prayed for. I prayed for their children. I prayed for their dogs. And then I looked at my watch and saw that 10 minutes had gone by. <laughs> and I still had hours ahead of me and days ahead of me and months ahead of me. And it freaked me out. And I learned that your words in prayer only get you so far. What do you do when, you, when you're trying to pray and you have nothing left to say? And what I discovered in that season of, of focused prayer in my life is that the best parts of prayer often come when I stop talking. For the last few weeks, we've been in a sermon series that we're calling Sacred Rhythms, where we are where we are examining these ancient practices, or what's sometimes called spiritual disciplines, that the church has used for uh, thousands of years now as a means by which we can be formed more to be like Jesus and that we can reorient sort of the desires of our hearts away from the shallow things of the world and towards the deeper things of God. 
And today I want to zero in on what, what I think is the most important aspect of a mature and thriving prayer life. And believe it or not, it actually has nothing to do with what you say. It's all about learning how to hear what he is saying. Us talking to God is great. And the Bible is clear that God delights in hearing us share the deep things that are in our hearts with him. Talking to God, it helps us organize our thoughts. It helps us to verbalize our hidden desires. It realigns us with the truth. It has the power to change um, outcomes through intercessory prayer. And a whole bunch more things happen when we talk to God. But learning to listen is actually where the good stuff is. The voice of God speaking over us is a thousand times more powerful than the words that we speak to him. To quote uh, pastor and theologian Philip Yancey, prayer is the act of seeing reality from God's point of view. And that's a really important thing. For some of us, when we come to prayer, we think that our job is to try to convince God to see things our way. We try to convince him that what we want is really what he should do. But it's actually the opposite. Prayer is all about learning to be with God in such a way where our desires and our perspectives and our hopes and our assumptions, all of ourselves begin to align with what God desires. And this comes through the practice, not of talking, but actually of listening. But if we're honest, listening is the hardest part of prayer for most of us. Like, Finding the space and time to be silent, to be quiet before God, is a seemingly impossible task in a world of constant noise and distraction and responsibilities. And even as, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, even as some of us would say that like our desire is for that sense of quiet and peace, we, we notice that our world feels too noisy and that our internal world even feels too noisy and we long for that sort of monastery, you know, that serenity, as soon as things get quiet, most of us start to feel a little bit like jittery and uncomfortable and awkward. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, there's this ancient practice that is, uh, is something that is it's a little bit in vogue right now, um, and it's, uh, it's called spiritual direction. How many of you have ever done spiritual direction or seen a spiritual director before? Cool, a handful of us. And in spiritual direction, there is this practice of beginning the, the time where you are listening to God together by lighting a candle. So I'm just going to do that as sort of a way of practicing what we're talking about. It's a soy candle. I got it for my wife for Christmas. It's really, it was really expensive. Um, <laughs> And so when we light the candle in spiritual direction, the symbolism of it is not just sort of like a way of kind of getting aromatherapy in the room, um, but it actually is, it points us back to the story of Moses in the wilderness uh, when he was in Midian and he was taking care of these flocks out in the wilderness. And there's this story about how Moses saw this bush that was on fire, but that it wasn't being consumed. And as you read through the story, he approaches the bush, and that's where he has this encounter where he hears the voice of God. But the, the, the rabbis, ancient rabbis, will actually talk about this story, and they point out something that's very specific. It's that Moses, note, Moses, Moses noticed that this bush was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. And the only way that you could know that a bush was on fire but wasn't being consumed is through time. So likely, Moses would have passed by this bush that was on fire, walked right on by, and said, oh, there's a bush on fire, and then just walked past. 
and then come back maybe 45 minutes and look and see, oh, there's this bush that's still on fire and it's not burning down at all. And then maybe, and, per, and, and rabbis will say that perhaps he passed by this bush three, four, five times over the course of a couple of hours before he noticed its significance. And so as we light a candle, we are becoming aware of the presence of God in the room. We are drawing our attention from sort of the clutter and busyness of our lives uh, to the burning bush, to the holy ground that we find ourselves on. We are learning to listen. And that's sort of the point of lighting a candle when you're doing your listening prayer. All of us, if you're a Christian, I mean, all of us as humans, we were created with um, the ability to hear the voice of God that God actually designed us for this kind of relationship, not just where we would talk to a force or an idea, but that we would hear from the person of God himself. In John chapter 10, this is what Jesus says. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my, sorry, I know my sheep, my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And so if you're a follower of Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit living within you, you were made to hear the voice of God. Hearing from God isn't meant for just a select few group of super Christians who have their life all together. It's not for just those who have a prophetic gift that's sort of uh, special or different. It's actually for every single one of us. And so the challenge for each of us is to cultivate the space and the time to learn how to hear God speak to us. This is often called the secret place. It's the place of hearing. And when God brought his people out of Egypt through the Red Sea to the base of this mountain, Mount Sinai, the Bible says that he showed himself to the people as fire on top of a mountain and that his voice spoke like the sound of thunder. And it was this like shocking and terrifying thing when God spoke. The voice of God made the earth shake and it made the people tremble. It was so terrifying that the people actually said, Moses, why don't you go talk to God? We don't want anything to do with that mountain. And in in Psalm 81, we read this really interesting phrasing of this kind of scene from uh, the book of Exodus. It says, in distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. God called his people to a place where he could meet with them. And he called that place a secret place of thunder, which is the new name for like my home office where I spend time with God. Like I'm gonna go to the secret place of thunder. And, and for us, like as just regular normal people, like the secret place of thunder is a lot more dialed down than what we read about in the book of Exodus. I don't have a mountain that shakes. I don't have a fire that doesn't consume whenever God speaks to me. I've actually had to learn how to hear the small voice of God that speaks in the very, very quiet and often very slowly. But, but what the Bible says here is true, that even when his voice speaks in small ways, his voice still, still thunders on the inside. God has always intended that the secret place would be a place for us to hear him, where he speaks to us. This is really the heart of of what it means to meet with God. This is the purpose of our desire to meet with God um, in our our devotional times. In his book, Secrets of the Secret Place, Bob Sorge writes this. 
Hearing God's voice has become the singular quest of my heart, the sole pursuit that alone satisfies the great longings of my heart. For this reason, I strongly advocate for a prayer life that is comprised mostly of silence. It's a great delight to talk to God, but it's even more thrilling when he talks to us. I've discovered that he has more important things to say than I do. Things don't change when I talk to God. Things change when God talks to me. When I talk, nothing happens. When God talks, the universe comes into existence. So the power of prayer is found not in convincing God of my agenda, but in waiting upon him to hear his agenda. And that's all I want to talk about this morning. This morning is really just about a simple practice in prayer that's all about learning how to listen instead of speaking. A practice that resists the pull of the world towards distraction and busyness and numbing out. We're just going to talk about what it means to be quiet with God. One of the best and clearest depictions of the power of silence um, comes to us in, uh, in 1 Kings 19, which is a familiar story to many of us. Um, this is the story of Elijah uh, meeting, like, and his showdown with the prophets of Baal. Right before 1 Kings 19, Elijah is, on, is like having this epic showdown. There's all of these prophets of a false god, and uh, these false prophets, they serve these, this evil king and wicked queen. And, and Elijah, he, 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 the, the, the nature of the showdown is he says that, okay, we're both going to put some sacrifices on an altar, and then we're both going to call out to our gods to see which one of them rains down fire onto the altar. So there's all of these prophets of Baal, and they, they start praying, and they start cutting themselves, and they're chanting, and they're thinking of everything they can do to convince their god to send fire down on the altar, and nothing happens. And, and Elijah, he's like mocking them the whole time. And then finally, it's Elijah's turn. He says a simple prayer, and suddenly, whoosh, this fire falls. It consumes the whole, uh, the offering that's on the altar. It's this epic scene. It results in a bunch of these uh, false prophets being slaughtered. Gets pretty messy at the end. And then it says that right after that, then Elijah runs off, and he prays uh, for rain. There had been this drought for years and years, and he prays for rain, and then suddenly the rains start coming. And then it was just this incredible thing where God is answering Elijah's prayers in profound and powerful ways, very visibly. And then let's pick it up here in 1 Kings 19. It says, King Ahab told his wife Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of, the, one of these prophets who are slain by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die saying, it is enough now, Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and drank. And when the strength and when in the strength of that food, or he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. 
And so after this extraordinary showdown against the prophets of Baal, Ahab and Jezebel are full of rage towards Elijah, and they send a messenger saying, we are going to kill you. And Elijah, I mean, he had just seen fire come down from heaven. He had just seen water pour down from heaven for the first time. Both of these things. But yet the threats of the powerful loomed larger in his mind than the power of God than it had just been released through his prayers. So he goes out into the wilderness to pray. And this is what he prayed. Kill me now. God, let me die. I quit. I'm done. Which is a pretty big turn from, from boldly mocking and slaying the false prophets. He's alone under a tree. He's full of despair. And in the initial moment of solitude and silence, we see that God takes care of him, that God sends him a messenger who gives him a snack and a nap, which was probably the exact thing that he needed in that moment. There is no problem that wouldn't at least be helped by a snack and a nap. Now, this wasn't where he heard from God. He was strengthened, and then he was sent out on a journey. He, the meal gave him the strength to be able to go out 40, a 40 days journey out further into the wilderness. And, and archaeology actually tells us that the journey that he took really was only about a five to seven day walk, but God gave him, took him on a long extended 40 days of walking in solitude and silence and hiking. And so there was some preparation happening here. And then this is what happens at the end of that walk. It says, there he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the, to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, Syria and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphat, of something, like, to be king over Israel, <laughs> or to be, to be prophet in your place. So he departed from there and found Elisha, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. So Elijah... After 40 days of walking through the wilderness, he arrives at Mount Horeb, and God asks him this question, all right, what are you doing here? Which is another way of saying, what are you looking for? And Elijah's answer came, and we can see that after a 40-day journey with God, he had not cooled down. He was still feeling pretty upset. And Elijah gets very real with God. He says, I have been zealously working for you. All of your people have forsaken you. They tore down your altars. They killed all of your prophets. I'm the only one left. 
and they're trying to kill me too. That's how I'm doing. <laughs> and believe it or not, this is actually the perfect way to start out your prayer time. Like, he meets with God in solitude, and then he spills his guts. He emotes. He lets it all out. And in doing this, he is essentially like getting the stuff out of him to create space for God to be able to speak into him. The guards are down, and the voice of God comes in. And this is great news for people like me. Like, I am a better talker than a listener. I'm a verbal processor. I'm an emotional guy. When I come to God in prayer, I have no problem telling him exactly how I am feeling. But the key is staying long enough to hear God respond to what's going on in our lives, rather than, the sh than settling for the shallow catharsis of just sort of like getting it out of your system. So in verse 11, God tells Elijah to stand at the mouth of the cave because he is about to speak to him. God is going to respond, and because Elijah needs something big, it's going to be big. And so suddenly a wind blows, and it shakes the mountain. It's so powerful that it starts to tear the mountain apart, tear the mountain apart and shatter the rocks. It is dramatic. And if you and I were there, we would have retreated to the back of the cave in fear. Yet in all of the wind and all of the mountain tearing, it says that God wasn't in it. And then there comes this earthquake. The whole mountain shakes. The ground beneath his feet starts to quake, and yet God isn't in it. But Elijah, he hangs in there. He endures the wind. He endures the, the earthquake because he needs God. Next, there comes this fire. We don't know much about what the fire looked like, but it says that there was a fire. And again, the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after all the calamity and all of the drama and all of the big, noisy hubbub, it says that there was a sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard the low whisper of God, he knows that he is finally in God's presence. Have you ever wondered what that gentle whisper actually said to him? Like, what, what was it that was, was communicated to him in that moment? The Bible doesn't actually say. It was something just for Elijah. But we know that this whisper, it drew him out. It drew him into the presence of God. And it gave him courage and strength for what was going to come next. What Elijah was facing was huge and terrifying, but God wasn't in the dramatic. He was in the whispering breeze, so soft that you would miss it if you weren't looking for it. And I think that this is such, like, it, it's almost cliche to take this away from this story. Like many of us, if you've been around church world for very long, you've heard this preached a hundred times, but we mustn't miss it because it's so core for us. How often do we miss the voice of the Father because we just don't wait long enough for the whisper? Like we need him to shout at us for us to understand what he's saying. Um, a little over a year ago, I went to uh, a, a big conference. It was a Vineyard National Conference, which is a time that usually, I mean, it's, it's just, they're always really powerful. You know that God's going to do something really cool whenever you go to one of these things. And I went to this conference needing a touch from the Lord. I needed to hear from him. It had been a challenging stretch, and I needed refreshing, and I needed some instruction for what to do next. And so I went to this conference, and day after day, I just went for it, all in. Big worship times, but nothing for me. Big altar call responses. I went forward to receive prayer every single time. But again, other people were being touched, but it was nothing for me. The rest of the pastor's team could see just how angsty and desperate I was. And they were like, let's go pray for Marshall. It was really sweet. Love my team. But again, nothing was in it for me. And I left that conference feeling like, man, in all of the noise, I never heard God. 
And it wasn't until a few weeks later, in a small, alone time with Jesus, in my office, by myself, that he gently showed me what he's been doing with me all along. There's this, there's this like, strange truism that, that I can't find a Bible verse to really point to, but it feels really, really accurate, which is that sometimes in your early years with Jesus, his voice feels quite dramatic. The air feels electric. You have the prophetic words that all start to click into place. You know, you drop your Bible on the coffee table and it opens up to the exact right verse that you needed in that moment. There's just something kind of powerful and dramatic about hearing God's voice. But as the years tick by, it feels like the voice of Jesus becomes less dramatic. The big prophetic words are fewer and farther between. And the stuff that you hear is often more of just a gentle reminder to keep going rather than a big left turn that changes and alters the course of your life forever. And so what Jesus showed me in my non-dramatic moment with him is that he doesn't need to shout to his friends. He whispers because I have learned to hear his whisper. And I think that God's native language is the gentle whisper. He only shouts when we need to hear like because our hearts are so dull. And I believe that the longer that we follow Jesus, the more important it is for us to develop rhythms of being alone with God and hearing him in the very small ways. One of the most famous one-liners uh, in the Psalms is in Psalm 46. It says, be still and know that I am God. Reflecting on this line from the Psalms, Ruth Haley Barton writes this. She says, There is a kind of knowing that comes in silence and not in words. But first, we must be still. The Hebrew word translated be still literally means let go of your grip. So learning to hear from God, it begins with making space and letting go of our grip on our lives. We can't force his hand. We can't demand it. We can't fast enough days to sort of force him to say what we want him to say. All we can do is make space and wait and listen. But the freedom also comes in simply being still and knowing that he is God. There is, a, there is an element of even being able to hear something from God and just sort of reflecting on who he is rather than hearing what he is saying in the specific moment. And miraculously, God cares to whisper to you when you're alone and you're quiet. Jesus says that he's the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He says, I laid down my life for you. But he didn't lay down his life just so that we could punch our ticket to heaven someday when we die. He laid down his life for us to remove every barrier that keeps us from being able to commune with him as our friend, being able to hear his voice in a relationship with him. And he says that the shepherd's sheep hear his voice. So the question that I think we can just pause with this morning is, do, have you been able to hear him lately? Have you heard God talking to you lately? Do you sense his gentle voice guiding you along, comforting you when you feel weak or broken, giving you the impression of what he's inviting you into next? The Bible says that he's always speaking, but much of the time it's just a gentle whisper 
that we need to learn how to listen for. The Bible teaches us, essentially, that the bush is always burning. But are we, are we open enough to pay attention to the moment in front of us? And so before I invite Doug and Mary to come and lead us in ministry time, we're going to just take like two or three minutes and we're going to be quiet. And this might, for some of us, this might actually be the first three minutes of quiet you have had this week. We're just going to make a little bit of space and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us. And for each one of us, we might bring something different to the table. You might, be, you might have something that you need to hear God about, a, a life decision or a crisis or a fear or something like that, and, and he might answer you in that moment. But even if you don't have, if we don't come through with crystal clear, like clarity on the other side, we can at the very least be still and know that he is God. So you can put your hands out like you're receiving a gift if you'd like. You can just sit and relax, take a deep breath. You can close your eyes if it helps you to, to focus. But let's just invite God to speak. Come Holy Spirit. Come and speak, Lord. That was two minutes. It was 120 seconds. Did anybody feel like you had an impression or heard something from God in that, in that brief two minutes? A few people? It's always talking. Sometimes it's even just taking 120 seconds to quiet ourselves down enough to hear him. <laughs> 